the human-centric podcast the podcast all about the talents of today and tomorrow presented by deutsche telekom so here we are folks with episode number three of our podcast series the human-centric podcast the human-centric curiosity journey that svetlana and i are on i am of course dialing in from lockdown in oslo so we're trying to be virtually curious this time but we've managed quite well this third episode svetlana what are we visiting here in the third episode we are visiting technology or we are visiting places where technology meets people where talent meets technology And we had two great guests. It was such passionate conversation. So we had two quite passionate guests. So we had Marta. She's the business partner for technology, global technology in Deutsche Telekom. Coming from the business, bringing business perspective on talents and the future skills. And we had Borislav, we call Boris, uh, who is leading Tadic, who is leading a technology function in Deutsche Telekom as well, coming from the core business side and together we had an engaging and passionate conversation for like, like one second oh didn't we just it wasn't boring for a second was it and the big scary question in here for me is this thing of artificial intelligence and blended intelligence and like as human beings how can we stay relevant here it's a bit of a chase that we've created for ourselves in one way it's completely bizarre isn't it Yeah, and also the chase and the fear of speed of development, how fast things are changing and how do you keep up with the pace yourself individually? So how do you keep on being relevant? You know, computers get updates. How do you upgrade yourself? So yes. that's what we will hear much more in the podcast. Super interesting topics and super interesting and concrete advice to be had in the podcast, everyone. So listen up. Talent is at the heart of strategy because people make strategy happen. Welcome to Human Centric Podcast. What is it all about? I'm Svetlana. I'm coming from Deutsche Telekom, from the magenta side of the world, and I work with HR with people. And I'm having a partner in crime. We have Hannah. Hannah is connecting to us from lockdown Norway, up from Oslo, and Hannah is my co-host for the show. My role in this podcast is to really pause for a second and go behind the corporate lingo. Talent management, people development, skills, technology, what do we really mean behind it? Just to pause and have a meaningful conversation. So I would say I'm the inside-out agent. And Hannah, what's your role with me? My partner in crime. Yes, I have for the last 20 years worked for a whole wide range of different organizations and companies within the corporate world, NGOs, politicians. And the topic that I've been pursuing is the idea of communication when it's live, when we try to relate and come across to other people. So the idea behind this going beneath the surface, investigating how at the core of implementing strategies lies always, forever, the human being. You know, it's about humans. And at the end of the day, it's about how we relate with one another. We are together, Svetlana, aren't we? Just discovering how we can get to the core of how to solve and crack the codes of how to make it happen and strive for excellence together. So we had two curious so, souls in a way. Yes, we are. Yeah, I'm very happy to welcome our guests to the episode of Human-Centric Podcast. 
And I have to say I'm thrilled and I'm excited. We have Marzia here present with us. And Marzia, I have to make a confession, actually. So if I would make a short list of people I want to have lunch with, you would be on my short yeah. list. I think Marzia is really an inspiring agent of DT who talks a lot about people, human side, and the skills for the future, and what we have to do to change inside Deutsche Telekom to get there. So, Marzia, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm really honored to be here with you today. Thanks for that, Marzia. I think I just have to say straight away, I got so curious when I looked, I think it was on your LinkedIn page, and you have like this headline, and it says, technology for good. And I was like, yes to that, but I was like, technology for good purposes? Or tell, tell me more about it. What lies behind those words for you? Um, you know, I'm thinking a lot about companies and the kind of things that we do and the track record we leave in society. And I think it's a moral dilemma mm. that faces a lot of companies. Does the products or the services that we offer harm people in any way? And, you know, it's a discussion that's quite current when you have technology that could be used to distort facts. If you have products that make people addicted to sugar or children to smoking, you know, it's these kind of topics that we need to think about because technology in itself, of course, is not good or bad, but it's how we use this. And for me, it's, it's really important in the work that I do, and especially in choosing the company that I work for, to know that it's a company that has a responsibility, that will not do anything to harm people, but that will use the power of this technology that they have for good purpose and really to do the right thing in the world that we are living in. Absolutely. That is, yeah, Svetlana, that's so interesting. I think the idea of technology actually being neutral, but at the same time, it's being filled with what we as humans can fill it with, because we are, at least for now, the ones creating the artificial intelligence. We're going to go more into that, but I think definitely we are at a point where we can discuss moral issues to do with the creations that we're creating out there and how they actually impact the world around us. And that could lead me to Borislav, couldn't it, straight away? Because Borislav, on your LinkedIn page, I think it was, there's actually another headline. I don't know if you guys planned this together, but your headline just says, do something great. <laughs> True. <laughs> so lovely to meet you and have you on the program, Borislav. Same Tell here. us about that headline. Same here, yes. I'm in a, really in a beautiful, both virtually and physically, in an amazing group. I have to say I'm really proud. I can share this uh, stage with three extremely successful women and speaking about uh, technology and talent. So do something great is something that really I strive to every day. And I'm not speaking about great, great things, only about those things which are really so sustainable that they last for centuries. You know, personal opinion is that all of us, yeah, people, individuals, groups, we need to try or strive to leave the world behind, which is a bit better than the one which we were born into, independent of female or male, I think everyone wants to leave a trace, you know, some kind of small mm. legacy. And as that mm. legacy can be then improved or uh, used for good, I think that's the best possible legacy. So it can be as good or as great as uh, Nikola Tesla inventing, you know, uh, mm. AC, yeah, or uh, on the other hand, it could also be basically uh, someone helping someone over the street and especially if that kind of help is a technology helping a blind person crossing over the street, then that's mm. also something great that we should all do. We can notice how 
the commercial forces are, of course, some of the strongest forces on the planet. And the idea of actually using those forces for something good, it seems like it's not only in your company, but also in loads of other companies I visit these days, that's becoming not only introduced, but it's becoming like self-explanatory. It's at the actual core. And that is certainly a change, isn't it? If we look back some decades, if you look at like the ice cold capitalism that, that used to be there, there seems to be a change. Absolutely, Hannah. And, uh, relating to the topic that we're talking about, Svetlana, around talent, is that a lot of the younger people that we all try to reach out to, they are very interested in doing yeah. purposeful work and not just in something that makes money. Um, of course, that's also important for people. Make but, an impact. But it's really about making an impact. Mm. So for me, that links very well to this topic as well, to what are the kind of people that we are looking for eventually that will come into our organizations. Oh, that's lovely. Mm. So the idea that if we are looking to attract enthusiastic, idealistic people from the generations that we see coming out into the workforce now, you really are nowhere unless you can actually prove that you are trying to do something for good. Mm -hmm. Is that, yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's, mm -hmm. it's a basically a, a common impulse. I've noticed it in a Stanford alumni uh, group, people who are dealing with artificial intelligence. We did that a year ago and it is amazing. It's like a, basically a, a global group yeah, of, of some 30 people with very different backgrounds and different both in, in the context of what they are doing, in context where they are coming from. And the, I think two days after the corona pandemic started or was officially announced worldwide and the first lockdown, two days after we already discussed in the group, how can we leverage artificial intelligence, for example, in order to uh, help stopping spreading of uh, or, mm. or saving saving people's lives. And one of the ideas was let's analyze the cough samples, yeah, because we knew that that's one of the symptoms of corona. Let's analyze if it's a dry cough. We cannot hear it by our own ears, but artificial intelligence Again, based on the yeah. samples can extrapolate what the, the infected person is and what not. And the funny thing is we discussed it, we made a couple of rounds around it, and then several months later, I think two months before uh, today's date, it was officially announced that I think MIT really made the software or finalized the idea that we have this cough analysis. So yes, it can be and it should be for a good purpose. We can all contribute to that. Oh, totally. Svetlana, I'm so aware that we're in two different studios. Is there something on your mind? Something you want to say? You know, yeah, I'm thinking a lot. And these days when we try to also uncover this inside gig of telecom. So we work in a big corporation. We have many people inside. And uh, you mentioned technology for good. And, you know, it's developing so rapidly. AI is coming in. I'm always thinking around two points in here. First, how can we keep up to date with what's happening? Because how can I, you know, be continuously upgraded as software to stay up to date? Yeah. If you have any good hints and tips for people, how to really not be ashamed of that or scared of that, because it's, it's actually scary yeah. Yeah, to see what it's, is developing in here. It's really scary, Svetlana. And, you know, we're talking in Deutsche Telekom specifically at the moment a lot about this topic, about how do I remain current with my skills? Because I think mm. the one thing that is clear is that no company can any longer promise a job for life. But what we could do is to say we will support you to be employable wherever, whenever. All of the research that we are reading at the moment, the World Economic Forum's latest research that was just published mm -hmm. a few weeks ago, 
McKinsey, all of these consulting companies, everywhere you go, you will read that anywhere between a third of the working population, up to 50% of people need to upgrade their skills. But it starts by you admitting that there is something to learn. So this is why mm. the whole topic of learning new things mm -hmm. is a deep cultural topic where people should not be afraid to put their hand up and say, mm -hmm. you know what, I would like to do some more training. I'd like to change direction. And I do believe that this will be the most critical topic that is facing us as organizations in the next 10 years, I believe. This is a perfect segue, isn't it, Svetlana? Because when Svetlana and I were planning for this episode today, we were having this conversation and saying like, you know, because unless you know the facts and the figures, you're kind of sitting there with this feeling these days of like, oh my God, artificial intelligence is coming. How quickly is it coming? When will I be replaced? You know, and you in be replaced. Yeah. <laughs> I, of course, won't be replaced, but, <laughs> you know, I, you, we're frightened for our kids. The idea of knowing how to actually meet it, if we are, like Svetlana is saying here, if the human beings, if we look at ourselves as software for a second, we're definitely software, not hardware, huh? Mm -hmm. the, if we are software, what kind of upgrade is actually needed? I think maybe you're pointing to one thing, Mardia, straight away when you're saying one thing that is needed is our attitude towards learning new things mm -hmm. needs to change in itself. Yeah. Is that the correct interpretation? Absolutely. You know, I think the challenge is that, you know, many people, when you look at average companies, and I'm just, you know, talking about Germany at the moment, because this is where I am at the moment. But you look at the average age of our employees and you look at It's probably 25 years ago that most people have actually been to university or studied something. And mm. that cannot be any longer. You know, it cannot mm. be that 25 years ago you got very valuable education. Mm. That is not enough to carry you into the next 25 years. Because the other thing that is reality is people are also getting older. So we're also working for longer in different kind of formats. Yeah. So we need to upskill. And one of the interesting bits of research as well is that the life cycle of your knowledge is getting shorter and shorter. You know, so if you learn something new today, it does not mean that now you have it for the next 10 years. It's actually about five years. Then there's the next cycle that needs to come. Boris, you also wanted to say something. Uh, absolutely. I absolutely agree. You know, I was asking myself a personal question. My grandfather, mother's father was an engineer. Yeah. So my dad was an engineer. Yeah. So, and I was always trying to ask myself as, as, as an engineer myself, what is the common thing which combines three of us? You know, my grandpa at the beginning of the last century, my dad, you know, he was born in the fifties and myself, you know, being born in the eighties. And I can tell you, that what connects the engineers from all three ages is on one hand, exactly this readiness for continuous learning and development, you know, self-triggered, mm. self-passionately to drive yourself to improve in the various domains. Whether it's a hundred years ago, it was a reading, it was listening, learning from your master, like my grandpa did before he went with 12 to be an electrician in the mines. You know, they were digging coal, Gosh. so he needed to electrify that. And then later he was an electrician on the submarine, one of the first ones in Europe. And Then basically after that, my dad as a traffic engineer developing traffic infrastructure, I was thinking like, 
with me as a software developer originally. Now, of course, for the last 15 years, I was more or less in leadership positions, not so much dealing mm -hmm. with the programming itself. Mm -hmm. But I have to say what connects us was definitely this continuous urge from the times to read, to go to the conferences, digital or uh, at the time, mm -hmm. uh, physical, to expand your network and this network, not only to leverage it for your benefits in context of career or something, but also to learn from that network, from the diverse people mm. in that network, to leverage that and to keep an open mind, you know, not to say I, I didn't hear my grandpa. I, I met him. And of course, we had like, I think, 20, my first 20 years of my life, I was very close to him before he passed away. And I can tell you one of the things he always told me, like, in my time, you know, I learned this technology and this kind of technique, you know, and my dad said, he said, like, your dad also learned this new method. But the thing is, we kept an open mind for the new technologies. And like you, Mardia, said perfectly, in yeah. five years, who knows what we're going to have? You know, like, I can remember still things I was personally yeah. learning at the university at software. I was proud back then, like, knowing 30 programming languages. I can tell you, from those 30, I think only five are Survive. with modifications yeah. are relevant today. Yeah. So, and it was not long ago. It was basically a couple of years ago. So this is a really a huge, huge need to keep an open mind, to continuously learn and develop and basically to be proactive, not to expect that the company mm. or the universities will just give you something in your hands and say, do that, but just to use all the opportunities you have. I love this point. So to try and kind of bottom line what we're saying here, coming into work every day and just doing what you did yesterday is not good enough. Is no longer going to cut it. That to me brings, again, so we're on this level of like, what mindset do I need to have to be a talent in any organization these days? And what you're pointing to is that the mindset I need to bring needs to be pretty resilient to change. Exactly. I need to be able to throw away the ideas of yesterday without falling apart or going, oh my God, all the stuff I knew is gone. And I need to be able to embrace uh, learning new stuff. Am I right? Yeah. And I think the other reality is that as a company, we are finding that our industry is changing so rapidly that the mm. kind of skills that we need, one, we don't have it in the company because we didn't focus early enough on some of that learning. We are now and we have done mm -hmm. since the last two years. But, you know, it's enormous time that it will take to, to make sure that we are there. And then when you go and look outside for these skills, you will find that you don't have the classic competitors any longer. You know, so it's not if you're in the telco industry that you only have the Vodafones or, the, or you know, any of these companies to worry about. Every single company now, all the Guffas, small startups – need data scientists. They need software mm. developers. So the whole world is moving to that space. So suddenly that skill is needed everywhere and we are competing everywhere for these skills. So we need to find the solution internally as well. Of course, it will not only come from that, but I think the one thing that we are realizing is more and more we are realizing nearly 50% of the gap in skills will have to come through reskilling or upskilling. And this is for me the challenge that we are facing, Boris, in this, especially in this becoming a softwareized telco. Absolutely. Um, in our kind of industry specifically. Absolutely. And uh, the, the great example is also the change which is happening within the network technology, you know, like switching mm. uh, people who are working mostly with copper based technologies for uh, years and decades. Yeah. Now suddenly we are focused on FTTH, yeah, fiber to the, mm -hmm. to the home. And basically everyone needs to learn these new technologies and basically 
think there are not many profiles which will remain the same in the future. Yeah. So there were some people who knew both technologies and were dealing either their technicians, you know, or people mm. who are uh, monteurs uh, or people who are doing the planning and documentation process. However, in every part of the value chain, there's something new. There's a new tool. Uh, there is a new mm -hmm. system. Yeah. There's a new technology or new method, which let's say uh, adds speed or lowers the cost. Then there's aspect of doing physically the work. You know, that for me, switching from the IT where I started basically in Deutsche mm -hmm. Telekom over different functions then to net NT, I can tell you, I was scared as hell thinking like, what do I know about splicing or about, you know, the, so digging or so. And I have to, I of course had to look at my more experienced colleagues from the other regions and the other parts of technology to learn from them. But I can tell you, I've seen so many great people in the organization, independent of their grade and level, which perfectly developed and acquired these new skills in a short time. They were simply not afraid. They said, I'm magenta, you know, like I will make it. And they did it. And okay, it's, and it's I'm going easy to, transition. Uh... I'm going to barge in there, Boris, and just remind us that we are in Deutsche Telekom. That's what we're visiting here. And the idea of the industry you're describing, like the copper-based and the 5G and all of this terminology coming out, is, of course, your journey at this moment in time. And the telecom industry, for sure, is one of the, like, the industries on the planet, like, in major change right now. Mm -hmm. Am I right? Mm -hmm. it, it's yeah. massive. I mean, we, you know, with the whole implementation of a network disaggregation strategy, it opened an entire new area of skills. Cloud, yeah. cloudification skills, automation skills. We kind of, when we looked at the kind of skills, we divided it in different groups, the kind of skills that we need here. And the first group was a, a group of facilitator skills. And these are skills like scrum masters, design thinking mm. experts mm. or design thinking coaches, release train engineers. Mm -hmm. um, and these are the kind of skills that we need more of to guide the organization through an agile journey. And this could be in specifically in the IT space, but also in any of the other spaces where we conduct huge projects. Then we've got the engineering roles, which is where we see mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. massively software engineering, data scientists, DevOps engineers, experienced designers, more and more, you know, if we are custom facing in the way that we are we want to make fans of customers mm -hmm. we are saying in Germany now and and we really really want to make sure that we understand and that we increase the experience of our customer then we need these people with this kind of skill Absolutely. which is is now in huge demand and the third is something that you alluded to which is around architecture roles mm -hmm. you know what are these kind of it's decoupling it's APIs. Sorry, I know it's, I have to <laughs> mention this, but, um, you know, and it's microservices, you know, that, that, and it's this, how do we build this architecture to ensure that we become this softwareized telco? Mm -hmm. So it's a, it, it's really, it can be overwhelming at times. And what I'm hearing, Marzia, when you're saying that, you know, software-based telco, leading European telco, and all these technical skills we need to have for the future, I'm just thinking, are we really becoming expertise-driven company? Mm. More than we, you know, we were more leadership-driven, you know, where leadership, we're front-end. Mm. The more and more we talk, the more I see the experts, you know, they need to shine for experts. Would you agree to that? Yeah. Yes, uh, I mean, it's, it's, and it has to be blend, you know. It's interesting what we are blending currently. We are blending the, our experts, mm. people who have long-term experience in different things, like, let's say, IT planning, network planning, project management, software development, etc., with people who have skills which we need in order to make our customers 
customers to the fans. And I think it's a fantastic idea and, and the vision. And with the third thing, which is automation, AI, and everything else. So basically the third kind of, let's say, actors in this game. And I think it's very important that we enable the people to embrace that. You know, when I'm looking about how we are planning in, say, in a year, I expect latest in a year we'll be done with our FTTH factory, which will enable us to automate the planning and documentation process and many other steps in our value chain, building, you know, getting our fiber optics to the customer. Up to now, it was done manually, not with a pen and pencil, but with, the, you know, like yeah. people mm. sitting in front of the documentation mm. or planning systems, GIS doing that manually. So now they're asking themselves, I'm a great talent. I'm a great expert. What do I do next? What's my next step? You know, and we explain them, look, whatever the machine produces, Produces whatever the robot produces, it'll be of course faster and it'll be higher and better in scale. But still, some things you have to correct, some things you have to do a quality assurance with, some things you have to strategically, like you mentioned, Mardia, you have to strategically look at and think: Is this something that we need to? adapt or how can we yeah. can, how can we adapt this so that it's even better for the customer because you know machine let's say mapping an area when it passes a building doesn't know that that building might be an orphanage or might be a senior home where we need to uh, make sure wow. that the connection especially now in corona times is enabled so that they can communicate mm -hmm. with the families or outside world so that's exactly where this human intelligence uh, comes, comes in, in and blends these three different profiles yeah so i uh, just to just to answer on that as well so we need obviously these real great experts but then you have to put the human-centeredness there. Yeah. You have to still look at what is the interpretation. And every single person actually within the company needs to understand that they have to ask these kind of questions of what value do I add in this process? Yeah. So even if I'm in a corporate function mm -hmm. or a support function, this doesn't mean we don't need anyone who are not super technical expert. But for example, in HR, we need people who understand data analytics and who understands mm. what to do with that and can ask the so what questions. So, so it is everybody of us, you know, in our areas need to add this little bit of technology expertise together with the whole experience of empathy, of listening, of understanding what a customer wants. So technology is no um, longer a function. It's something that unites in the way the whole company together, right? Hannah's desperately to get something. No, it's fine. I'm super fascinated by your conversation. Trying to look at this from the outside in, you strike me as now a company at the very, very peak of like exploring the potential of the new technologies coming into mm -hmm. the corporate world. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, you are right now pointing to all the human mindsets and skills and perspectives mm -hmm. that still seem to be needed. And if I understand you, Mardia, correctly, you're saying that it's the blend. Also, Boris, you're saying it too. Yeah. It's in the mix. It's in the cross functional cross expertise field exactly. in the mix that that's where the exciting stuff happens say exactly. more about that yeah yeah absolutely i mean just around leadership obviously i think the classic role of just being the head of you know yeah. pulling everything together and then just passing it on to someone else there will be less of those jobs there's no doubt yeah. about that but the way that we lead in this new world is fundamentally different. So there's a huge group of people called leaders who needs to lead in a very, very different way, who has to have the ability to bring all these topics together. Even just something simple, well, not simple, as catastrophic as the pandemic has been. This has caused massive challenges for leaders. How do mm. you lead 
with people working so virtually? How do you connect? Because in the end, a lot of the work that we did, of course, we were able to do virtually and obviously from your home office. But that mm. human interaction, that engagement, that sharing of, okay, so this is the target that we are going for. What is the feedback that I'm getting? Am I on track still? Are we changing something? Those kind of conversations have to happen in a new way and in a different way. When we talk upskilling or reskilling, we talk everybody. At the moment, we are saying that every single employee in Deutsche Telekom has to do or has to have a personal learning journey, which mm. you need to look at in terms of your own, where you come from, what you're doing, what you want to do next, that needs to be put together because none of us will be untouched. Exactly. On this journey. It sounds like you're describing a journey where sitting back and being passive is no longer a possibility. Yeah. And, and, and that for and me is the so, danger, Hannah, um, is that yeah. actually the research that we've seen now is that around 75% of companies are offering opportunities to employees, you know, for learning, for mm. upskilling, for training. But we only see an uptake of about 40%. And I'm seeing oh. it personally still. Um, we have the first movers, and I'm very proud of those guys. I have to say so to everybody who, who jumped into <laughs> the first academies. I'm so proud of them because it was hard. They had to leave because these were academies that were said, I'm leaving my current job. I'm going into a new job that I don't really know. I don't even know what it's going to be. So there are people for sure that are prepared to do that. But unfortunately, we don't have everybody there yet. We don't have do you everybody have any, really. Uh, I would be really curious. Do you have any age demographics there? Like who are the ones for actually doing it? Well, it's you a know? mix actually, Hannah. It's a mix. It's interesting. We are obviously, as far as companies go, we're a slightly more mature company, if yeah. I can say it like that. So, so we, <laughs> you know, so, so generally, so I must say what I found in our groups of people who went for the data analytics and the software academy, they were mature people. So it was a mix between young and older. Oh, hooray. So we didn't yeah. find we didn't find that it was only the younger people that didn't know. But we will have to find a way to connect to people that they understand the challenge yeah. that will come our way if we don't jump into these opportunities. Exactly. And and we need to serve as an example. That's I'm really convinced in that I cannot move several thousand people in my organization if I just tell them, please go and do the online courses, do the upskilling, go to the programs. I have to show by myself and my leadership team, of course, that we are Ooh. also taking regular qualification programs and measures, that we are also improving ourselves on a daily or weekly or monthly basis before I can, let's say, sell that to the people, you know, and, and it's very important that we start and we are then through that more trustworthy as we say what's our personal development journey and, and how do we then correlate that with the success of the rest of the organization what where are our gaps and we have a great corporation there we know our gaps and we know our demographic structure so we know what we have to do we just need to enable this both by example and then of course giving space let's not forget coming now from the operational business that very often the employees are asking when will I do it yes. you know when I look yes. at my tasks if difficult. I do them from, I don't know, yeah. seven in the morning until seven in the evening, I will still be overbooked. Exactly. So when do I go and take, let's say, one or two or five days for the training? And exactly. we as leaders, as an organization, need to enable them so that they can yeah. participate in yeah. upskilling and reskilling yeah. programs. A absolutely Boris, critical. I love what you're saying there. I have to ask it to you straight away. What was your last learning initiative? What did you do for yourself? 
Actually, I did uh, uh, shop floor management. Shop floor is a, one method within the lean management approach, which we are introducing now in the factory. And uh, yes, I got it from the management summaries and everything. And I said like, yeah, of course I can do it. You know, like the typical, you know, like sovereign, you know, like I can do it. But on the other hand, then I said, yes, I know it from the slides, but I want to experience it. I want to go through the simulation of the shop floor talks. So uh, honestly, it was extremely hard, I have to say, to carve out three Mondays. I think I did three Mondays, uh, three hours, which is in this mm. year really a luxury. I carved them out. Yes, I was a bit distracted, but I was proud of myself at the end for being <laughs> able to go with, the, I was sitting there with the experts, with people from the organization, from different regions. You know, it was wow. not hierarchy based, you know, like all the levels. And honestly, I participated in discussion. And I, through that, not only that I learned about the shop floor management method, which is actually quite exciting, you know, to method I can uh, suggest it to every operational unit. But also what I learned is what the people think about this upskilling, mm. what the people think mm. about the method so mm -hmm. that I can apply that, you know, in order to improve the organization and in order to improve the introduction of this method in the organization. So I can warmly recommend that. But honestly, if I would be fair to myself, I should have done more. You know, I should have done some other trainings this oh, year, but somehow Corona came by, you know, so. And it's um, not, I'm, I'm just, just sorry, to on that, you know, in terms of why people not 100% yet, you know, applying, you know, you have a queue for people rolling into that. I think it's difficult. The human size about that. It's actually scary. Svetlana, just on that topic, we looked at that when we chose this first group of people to become software engineers. Now you have to know this is people who have never done programming in their life before. They, and yeah. now they went on this program. It was a full-time, six-month, and then some project work. And the biggest thing that we discovered, you must remember, when I'm, say, 45 years old, I've built my career in Deutsche Telekom, and I was successful at a middle management layer or at a team leader level in my previous role. So I have, I've earned my bread with that. I've, you know, the people recognized me as an expert Now I'm stepping into a world where I will be a beginner. Mm. Because when you come out of this training, you are just a beginner. I mean, when you talk about software development, there's back end, front end, there's so many different specialities that you need to go into. So people feel they come out of that, they're a beginner. And that's quite a big topic to get your head around. And you need If to make peace with that. And that, that's quite a big thing that I think stands in the way of people jumping into that opportunity. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Uh, if, just I can, add one uh, if I can to... interpret the, the conversation, then the direction we're taking now, part of what you're saying, Mardia, is that when I have a long CV or a long track record in one field, that's going to feel somehow like leverage. It's going to feel like I have some exactly. like mm. status. Yeah. And yes. then all of a sudden yes. now I have to let that go and feel like a baby again. Yes. That would be very scary in itself. Yeah. yeah. And True. then what you're, I just wanted to go back to Boris. I think it's so lovely put what you're saying that not only do we have to role model, but actually we need to know what it's like as leaders now. We need to know what it's like from the inside to do these learning programs mm. and understand the new stuff. And mm. and it, that brings me to one fact, because that's what I find when I, I try to do the same, try to challenge <laughs> myself. I try to like learn new things all the time. And I, whew, sometimes it's really hard. It is. It is. <laughs> learning is hard. Mm -hmm. And like you said, it comes up against prioritizing and our busy lives and mm. And, and, and wanting and to do a good that, job even. 
the, uh, Heiner, don't forget one point which Marty said, which is extremely important and not easy problem to solve. Many people who are successful in their roles, independently, whether they are team heads or even senior experts or something, or, or then later executives, what they have sometimes as a topic is a dignity or ego or something. It's not a problem yeah. in the sense of like that it's pathological. It's just a problem that someone, like you said, has to be a beginner. So how did we try to tackle that? Yeah. So is to see if we brand it as an official training where you start as a beginner and you end as a total expert, some people would say, why would I go through that? You know, that would be like an, under my level or under my dignity, you know. But if we say, look, this is an interesting opportunity, go there because there's lots of ways how we can learn in non-formal environments from the people through peers, going into the, for example, discussions outside of also of the telecom within tech community, uh, engineer communities, etc., or mint associations. And if we give them that, they will be more open because they'll see, okay, there's no like typical development path, but there is a clear impulses I can reach and win from these kind of discussions. And up Absolutely. to now, they were quite, uh, quite positive, you know? I would take it even one step further, and I would say that the old-fashioned role of the I know a lot of stuff because I'm an expert because I've been doing one thing for 20 years, that character has kind of gone out the window now, isn't it? That, that, it's over. To be replaced yeah. by, oh, my Lord, I don't mm. understand very much, but I'm just trying as hard That's as true. I can to keep up. Mm. Right? There's no, a new a mindset constant, in there. Constant journey, lifelong journey, forever. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is a really good phrase to sum up our conversation, because I think what I took for myself out of this, you know, human centric conversation that it's a lifelong learning is for the lifetime is continuously changing. You have to really continue to learn and learn how to learn and unlearn. And it's not easy. And we as an organization have to support that process for our people who are spending time with us in DT. We are building up a talent hub, which is the new approach to talent management. We want to have more discussions about what it means for technical talent, what it means for commercial, for leadership, for support functions, and how we are changing in here. Uh, it's very easy to check out what Talent Hub is all about. Uh, it's available on Yum. Just you know, type Talent Hub. And we also will be sharing more experiences and more insights externally as well. Thank you very much, Boris. Thank you very much, Mardia. It felt like one minute. Yes, I have exactly. To say. <laughs> it was a yeah. it was nice a to meet you. Hannah, very nice to meet safe. you as well, Hannah. Very nice. Nice regards to Oslo. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Stay Thanks. safe. Stay safe. Stay Thank safe. To find out the deeper meaning of talent and its human aspects in business environments, subscribe to the Human Centric Podcast and stay tuned.